Hello everybody and thank you for joining us on Textile Talk podcast. My name is Gail Cowley and I'll be your host today. Joining me for this episode is textile artist Alan Brown. Alan has spent seven years making a dress from scratch using 14,400 feet of thread which has been made from the fibre of locally foraged stinging nettles. In doing so, he relearns ancient crafts of foraging, spinning, weaving, cutting and sewing. Making a dress this way becomes devotional, helping Alan to survive the death of his wife, which leaves him and their four children bereft. The Nettle Dress is a film that has been made of this period of Alan's life. It's a modern fairy tale about the healing power of nature and craft, directed by BAFTA-nominated filmmaker Dylan Howitt. It's released by Dartmouth Films in cinemas across the UK and Ireland from September the 15th, 2023. Um, I'm delighted to welcome you to Textile Talk podcast. Could I start off perhaps by asking you just to give us a, a little insight into your background? Yeah, sure. Um, I studied fine art. Well, I, I attempted to study fine art um, <laughs> after leaving school. I I, tr- I was at Goldsmiths for a bit and I quit that and I came to Brighton and did illustration and quit that and finally limped over the finishing line uh, doing performing arts. Um, so, But I had no uh, textile background at all until I got enmeshed with the nettles and that really just sent me off on a completely unexpected um, direction and one that I've just fully embraced and absolutely love it. I feel like I finally found my medium. Why nettles? Um, There obviously was a starting point somewhere where something sparked your interest. Yes, there, there were a few threads really. I mean, the most... The most prosaic one was I got um, we, we got a family dog, Bonnie, and I suddenly found myself out in the uh, Sussex countryside exploring uh, and walking. Um, and I really, really loved it. And as I was um, walking around and I, I took a wildflower ID books with me, starting to learn what plants gave you what, what were, what were edible and what had other healing uses or whatever. Um, but I kept returning to nettles because it was, uh, well, they're so ubiquitous. But also I had, um, in my youth, I'd been shown how to twist nettle cordage. And I just sort of thought, man, I wonder if I can remember how to do that. So I started fiddling around with, with nettles and remembered how to twist cordage. And, you know, I was starting to see how fine I could go. And in the process, I was sort of scraping away at the nettle bass that I was using and uh, suddenly saw that within the bass were the, all these amazing super fine fibers that you don't readily uh, notice are there when you strip uh, the skin off a, off a nettle plant. Um, so, yeah, that immediately got me interested going, oh, my goodness, these look amazing. They look like um, you could, you know, spin a really lovely thread from them. Not that I knew how to do that. 
but it just set me off on you know an inquiry as to whether nettles had been used to make textiles and if so how was it done and when was it done um and i couldn't really find many answers when i when i was starting out and i think if someone had shown me a piece of nettle cloth at that point my questions would have been answered and nothing further would have happened but because i couldn't find um any extant examples of nettle cloth um i just thought man if i'm ever, ever going to feel what nettle cloth feels like i'm just going to have to work out how to do it myself and yeah that really got me got me started and and what does it feel like well it i mean now i've made and felt nettle cloth it feels amazing it feels very much like linen um the the dress isn't as fine a cloth is um i've seen linens uh cloth spun and woven at but it was definitely well after a while after quite a few years of experimentation i finally uh, got it to a point where i was like oh my word you could actually this looks like it could be comfortable and it looks really strong and uh, yeah very much like a sort of uh, medium rough uh, linen and i mean just from a, a practical point of view we all think of nettles as stinging. Uh, how do you overcome that when you're picking them? Well, with when you, I mean, the sting of a nettle is on the stalk at any rate is just these little hairs that um, are like little hypodermic needles uh, type hairs on on well on the leaf and the stem. But once you um, scrape or flatten that by running it through a glove, or you can even do it with a naked hand, it just um, pushes those little um, stingy hairs flat at which point um, it's rendered docile so yeah I mean I usually wear uh, um, gloves or just use a little square of leather and just wrap it around the stalk once I've cut it um, and just pull, pull all the foliage off and in the process of doing that it just flattens the hairs out and yeah largely renders it um, non-stinging at that point. So when you go for your walks and you bring what presumably a large bundle back yes that's right I mean mm. one of the things I really liked about the whole nettle process was that I could do so much of it on the move whilst out um, in the countryside um, the the tools really up until um, the weaving stage are are so simple um, just drop spindles, a little blunt table kitchen knife to, you know, scrape the fibres once they've been retted. And, um, yeah, and so I would often take a bundle of fibres that I'd stripped previously out on my next walk so I could hand rub those while I was walking or I'd be spinning fibre I'd already processed. Then I would harvest, you know, search around, find the nettles that look promising and harvest a bundle and, yeah, bring them back home with me. So I was I felt like both the walking to the nettles and the walking back from the nettles, I could still use that time to, uh, you know, progress and, and actually work, work the fibers. Mm. So it's really that immediate that you can you could pick them and then immediately start to work with them. There's no pre treatment that you have to do or. No, I mean, um, when you, you you can just strip off, a, uh, I call it green, just when it's just been freshly harvested, not not that the, the nettle itself is necessarily uh, green. You get purple-coloured nettles and um, green-coloured nettles. But, yeah, by green, I just mean no previous um, 
processing and you can strip that off and scrape away the sort of vegetable gunk and get down to the fibers but I actually ended up working a different way where I bring those stalks back home um, and then leave uh, spread them out on the grass um, and dew ret them retting is just an old word for rotting and it's a uh, part of the process that we use in our, our other bast fibers like linen uh, or flax and hemp. Um, so yeah, I just leave them spread out on the grass and just the, the microorganisms in the, in, in the soil, on the grass, in the air, just sort of uh, start to slightly rot the, um, the nettle. Not that you would uh, notice necessarily that anything's changed um, other than they've just dried out slightly. But that that does actually change the the handle of the fiber, and for the way I was working, it just um, it just puts you end up with a fiber much more like wool or flax or hemp toe. Um, it, without doing the retting, I find that the fiber is quite wiry, almost like fishing wire, um, and I think that's how our ancestors used it because it's much much stronger in that form. Retting does weaken the fiber slightly. But yeah, it just puts it into a consistency that's uh, much easier to spin. I see. So I'm I'm assuming that there there will be a season to this, that you know you wouldn't it wouldn't be something you'd be able to continue throughout the winter. No, that's right. I mean, I really um, harvest probably beginning of July through till end of August, maybe a little bit in September. That seems to be when the sort of sweet spot that the nettles are nice and tall um, and they're still they haven't started to degrade I mean in some parts of the world where nettles have been used um, there seems to be a similarity to uh, places where there's or was traditionally quite deep snow and the nettles would just be left standing and the snow would come and encase the nettles and just very slowly the snow would ret the nettles so in spring just as the snow started to melt you could go around and literally strip off the fiber uh, from the plant and you're ready to go mm. um, but unfortunately here in the this southern England uh, our autumns are sort of wet and still quite warm so the nettles just basically rot and you know come spring they've pretty much gone um, so, yeah, that's why I kind of do a more directed retting uh, process. Mm -hmm. So you'd, would you sort of build up the, um, the fibres during the July, August, September and then do some of the weaving and that sort of thing over the winter? Yeah, there, there, there was a sort of natural rhythm to it all. Yes, a lot of the summer months were just, um, are just concerned with getting out, getting the nettles, getting them back and getting them retted, at which point they can just be uh, stashed. I, I keep them indoors because I learned that nettles um, really absorb sort of ambient moisture and they tend to go moldy if you leave them in an outbuilding or a garage. So, yeah, I have them inside. But they, the fibres are still on the stalks. And then when I'm uh, at a point where I need to process some more fibres for spinning, I will then strip the, the, the bast off the nettle and, yeah, start the next steps in the processing. So, And they can sit in that form for as long as you need, really. And, and then as, as far as making them into an actual cloth is concerned, how does, how does that work? So once... Um, 
once the retting process is done, um, I mean, the, the difference, the main difference I found between nettles and uh, hemp and flax, both of which I work with, flax I've been growing up my allotment and in the back garden for the last seven or eight years. Um, but uh, flax and hemp, the, the processing's a bit simpler because once you've retted and you just start to break the plant up, the, the core or the shy just falls away and what you're left with is a fibre pretty much ready to spin. It needs to be combed or hackled uh, just to get it into order. But with nettles, I found that it, it requires an extra step because nettle, bast or the skin has a sort of... Um, a bark you can't really see it so much as but it's just an, a roughness and i found that you need to scrape the fibers and get rid of that layer of uh, bark which just comes away as a sort of dust and then once you've done that then um yeah i don't hackle the fibers are quite short by this stage so i found just using wool carders um, does a really good job of just getting rid of any sort of unwanted bits of vegetable um, matter and and the last of the dust. And then what you're left with is just a very fluffy, um, clean, pretty clean fiber, which is just perfect for spinning. Um, mm. I just hold the little rolag in my hand and just spin straight off it. Um, I thought in the beginning that failing to preserve that long fiber was an issue because you know the beauty of hemp and flax is that it's a lovely long fiber and that mm. um you know influences the way it, it, it hangs and the the feel of the cloth um but but i just realized that uh, with nettles is it just a shorter fiber and in fact it's you know it, it's convenient in many ways in that form because you don't need to spin it off a distaff you can just hold the rolag in your hand so it just makes that a little bit more portable um, and that's, you know, so I've always got a bag of uh, processed carded fiber and a drop spindle and I can just spin whenever a, a moment presents itself. And, and how much of, of that process did you already know and, and how much did you have to learn? Oh, I had to learn it all. I mean, when mm. I was trying to find out how to process nettles, the only information I could really find was on the, the Nepalese who use um, uh, Himalayan nettle, they call aloe. Um, but, and they process it in quite an interesting way. Is they, they strip the fiber off and then they cook it um, in wood ash and make this sort of um, very alkaline uh, uh, sort of porridgey consistency, which the fibers bubble away in. Mm -hmm. And then when they pull that out, they pack it with this sort of clay, which stops the fibers kind of um, felting or matting together. Um, and I did try that with nettles and various people have tried it to uh, varying degrees of success. But in the end, I, I, I kind of lent into flax and hemp uh, processing because there's just a lot more written about it as they were both you know kind of traditional european uh, crops and so um yeah I, I tended to follow those steps even though nettle really it just resists mechanization um i just found that none of the tools that you could use in flax and hemp really worked on nettle nettle just demanded mm -hmm. that you kind of do it much more by hand and and when you do it that way it's um it's a little bit slower but it's um yeah you get the results that you're after so i i seem to remember reading that uh, you had started a group an online group 
Yes, um, the Nettle for Textiles Facebook group. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, how how the the film, the origins of the film uh, came about by Dylan, my friend who directed the film. We were we were friends um, from going way back. He was just wanting to come over and uh, check out his his camera for his jobbing uh, TV work as a cameraman. And uh, I said, man, while you're here, do you mind if we just shoot a quick how-to video just so I can share the process I'm using? Because I was chatting to a handful of people online and I thought it would be easier just to show them rather than try and explain it uh, mm. with words. Or So we did that and we just chucked it online for free. And to our utter astonishment, it just got shared millions of times. And I was like, oh, my word, the, who would have thought that there was such interest in this incredibly niche area mm. um but i immediately thought that i should set up some sort of um platform to pull all these people together really because i i mean even though uh nettle fiber is a very ancient um cordage and textile uh fiber it's sort of a forgotten it's largely been forgotten and i just thought well with with lots of people um experimenting and researching and sharing their results collectively we'll be able to push things on much faster than us all working individually on our own and yeah i mean that was lovely i connected with with lots of people some of which had been working with nettles for much longer than i had and we um, with my friend bridget um, who I met previously was also into nettles. Uh, she set up a little website also called Nettle for Textiles where we just put all interesting historical and scientific um, papers on nettles up there um, and just sort of, yeah, just gathered it all together to make it an easy, easy searchable um, resource. So, yeah, mm. that's been wonderful. And, the, yeah, that communi Facebook community is now 27,000-plus strong. Gosh, um, yeah, with people producing some astonishing nettle textiles. It's, it really has been mm. wonderful. Are nettles international? I mean, I can't say it's something I'd really considered before, but are they in every country? Pretty much. I mean, the, nettle's quite a big family. I mean, uh, Rami or Rami is of the nettle family, and that's been a, a traditional mm. um, textile crop sort of, um, yeah, in the East, Um but I think nettles are fairly ubiquitous across the world. There are lots of different species. We've got two or three different ones here in the UK. Um, but, yeah, I think pretty much. I mean, even in places like Kenya, which I didn't imagine, they, they've actually got the, a very similar plant to the Himalayan nettle. I don't know what the geographical origins of that connections are. But, yeah, no, nettle's very widespread. And interestingly, it... it where it has been used or has been documented as being used, it seems to have been used in um, creating nets. So I, th I think the mm -hmm. etymology of nettle and nets isn't accidental. Ah. Um, and in fact, in a lot of European languages, um, nettle, needle, sewing all share a similar root. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I know this because I luckily met a woman called Gillian Adom, uh, early on in my research and she wrote an amazing uh, little book called From Sting to Spin which was um, kind of written 
pretty much pre-internet where she just set about trying to track down and follow all the historical hints and rumors about the use of nettle um, and that's that was really really helpful and interesting just to see how widespread its use was mm. and, and how how long do you think that that um, nettle has been used I imagine that it goes way, way back. I mean, I think in documented um, finds, it's probably, we, we certainly know it was uh, been used in sort of late Neolithic, early Bronze Age time. And that's probably when I think Nestle was at its heyday. I mean, little scraps have been found in uh, sort of Danish bog burials. I think there's uh, um, some nettle fiber being found on an arrowhead. Um, in Somerset from, yeah, I, I think Neolithic times, maybe even earlier, I'm not sure. But, mm. yeah, it's just such a, an immediate um, cordage mm -hmm. uh, that it, it would have been so useful. It's almost like, I mean, quite often when I'm out uh, picking the nettles, I realize I've forgotten a bit of string or something to tie them up with. And within minutes, I can just roll some cordage and just tie the bundle of nettles up and there have been times when I'm out with Bonnie and have forgotten her lead and I just have to quickly rustle one up just to get into a shop, you know, um, mm. get into a cafe with her or whatever. So, yeah, it, it's, um, you know, obviously it's seasonal, but certainly for the summer months, um, it's right there. It, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's like having a shop on your on your doorstep, wherever <laughs> <Yeah>. you are. <laughs> and I, I presume that you've experimented with colouring it. Yes, I mean that that was a real revelation. I mean, I I love the uh, natural dyeing, and you can get a colour from nettle. You can get a sort of yellow from the roots and various shades of green from the foliage. Um, but what I discovered was, I think because it's quite maybe because it's a shorter, fluffier fibre uh, than f flax or hemp, um, it really takes dye beautifully. Um, it really soaks up the colour. So, yeah, that, that's that's a real plus to it. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And, again, it's it's probably a really stupid question, but thinking about clothes, it, it, does it wash well? I mean, have you tried? Yes. I mean, I've washed the dress several times now, and, um, you know, the traditional way to do it is, is to either scour it, um, boil it in a little bit of washing soda or wood ash or um, something like that, um, and you can boil it. I mean, that's the, you know, it, it behaves exactly as linen and hemp cloth. It's it's uh, probably stronger when it's wet, but it's, um, it's, it's very tough and hard wearing and, uh, yeah, comes up, comes, it, cl it cleans beautifully and no... Um, degradation to the fiber or the cloth that i could see and other other than it's just softening it up i mean it's when you first bring it out it kind of goes a little bit stiff again and then just in the wearing or the handling um it soon softens up and and at, at what point in in the experimentation process did you decide that you wanted to make the dress out of it yeah i mean i was i was a a few years in like maybe sort of three years into the the project and I you know I, I had woven a set of um little samples um I started off just on a pin loom and then as I taught myself the basics of weaving put it on a small table loom and yeah tried different um a attempts and you know I learned 
you know how close the set is affects the handle of the cloth i mean my first experiments uh, the, the little squares of cloth were like exfoliating scrubs they were really rough and i was quite mm. disheartened that it was it was nothing as close to a wearable um textile but yeah as my as my processing got better and my spinning got better i arrived at a point where i thought man yeah you this this definitely would cut it as clothing and i kind of thought it would be a shame to end this um exploration just with a few little samples that sat in a drawer um it would just be so much cooler to actually you know see it through and make a garment and actually just physically feel directly what it takes to make some you know make a garment entirely mm. by hand um so yeah i just started amassing fibers i wasn't sure exactly what i was going to make um but as as we um well i became aware of the the hans christian anderson um fairy tale about the girl who's um who undoes an enchantment on her brothers who've been turned into swans uh, by an uh, evil stepmother and um yeah she's she's told that she has to well a fairy tells her that if she spins seven cloaks or uh, seven shirts or 11 depending on the story it's quite an ancient story um that the the magic spell would would be undone and her brothers would be returned to human form um and she had to spin the nettles in silence she had to gather them um from graveyards and um yeah so it was partly i really started to identify with that girl in the story and and the how large her task was and so i thought mm, in, in the spirit of the fairy tale it would be nice to sort of make a symbolic dress partly for her really just to honor her um her part in the fairy tale but the, the fairy tale actually i think did give me a, a couple of really helpful clues i think like i um said earlier i thought that i must be doing something wrong in my processing that i was ending up with short fibers and that it seemed to be so labor intensive but i think you know usually in fairy tales it's flax or linen that's been referred to when you see uh, them when a spinning wheel comes into the story but i did wonder whether nettles were used in this specific instance because there perhaps was a wider cultural knowledge at the time of that fairy tale that nettles were more hard work than the other bast fibers mm. and that sort of made me think oh maybe i'm i'm not doing something wrong maybe it just is um a, was a known fact that nettles are are you know harder work than the other two so yeah so and then um so it was kind of partly in honoring her um that i just thought a dress would be the most fairy tale garment to make really so mm. yeah that's when the idea of, of of the nettle dress sort of came into my my mind and that that leads you into a whole other set of of uh, techniques that you have to find out about i presume because you you're then adding dress making in and yes i mean that 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 to me was was definitely the scariest and the hardest uh, part and i signed up for adult education sort of sewing basic um classes and um yeah learned learned some useful stuff from that um, I knew that I was always going to hand sew the dress because I just wanted to keep the whole thing uh, sort of non-machine based, just purely kind of uh, just by hand. So, um, 
yeah I, I i did i looked at different patterns and i what i eventually settled on was a, a sort of i mean i call it a viking pattern but really it was this sort of typical un, linen undergarment um that was wo really worn by men and women under their woolen clothing for for a long period i think that basic pattern remained in use for hundreds of years and what i really liked about it was that a it used quite a narrow width of cloth which looms um back at that time were narrower um but also it was just a, a really uh, low to no waist pattern it was just using this thin uh, long length of cloth and all the cuts were just triangles um in which every every piece you got was just either turned around or placed in such a way um that a a dress with fullness uh, was created and but i knew how much work it was to even spin a skein of nettle yarn so i thought yeah i definitely want a no waste pattern and one that mm -hmm. um, i don't have to weave or spin any more than i t i had to so yeah and and, and actually you know, even before getting into this, I've always um, held, had an admiration for clothing. I just love the way a two-dimensional uh, textile can be created to fit, uh, you know, three-dimensional form. And, you know, just became really interested in simple patterns that have been used at different places in the world at different times and the commonality between them. And... Um, yeah, so so I I did do a lot of practice. The main things I had to learn how to do were fitting a gore, and uh, yeah, just creating a gusset under the arms for uh, flexibility mm -hmm. and movement. And um, obviously, I I've not been able to wear the dress. My daughter Una is the one who has modelled it um, and and uh, wore it for the film. Um, but she says it's really comfortable and it looks great. I mean, it's it, it's forms partly shaped by a belt, um, but yeah, it, it 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 I really I really enjoyed the pattern. Did you know have any input? Your daughter? Oh, um, yeah, she she did. I mean, I'm I'm made a couple of twirls, um in linen um, just to practice, and uh, we tried that on and. Um, yeah, it, it, the, the one way of doing a, a gusset just felt too bulky, um, so I kind of changed that slightly. And yeah, making the twirls was a little bit difficult. I had to source, I mean, in the final twirl, I had to try and source a, a linen that was going to be as close to the the weight of the cloth that I was going to weave. And I mean, that was interesting because when I use a modern linen, I could sort of fold a seam twice and hide the ends. And uh, but with yeah. the thicker nettle cloth, that just wasn't possible. So I had to adjust how I was doing the seam slightly um, just so I could, you know, not create too much bulk. So I, I know, obviously, that part of the theme within the film is that creating the dress helped you over uh, your bereavement. Um, I know that there will be people listening to this that will find themselves in a similar situation and will be looking, perhaps have just lost somebody. I wonder if you could sort of, as much as you can, talk us through how that process worked for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alex, my wife, I mean, she was actually a really good sewer. So um, even though I didn't have any direct background, my mother was a sewer and a quilt maker 
and a knitter and Alex was a knitter and she was a really good sewer and she um, loved making costumes and our kids always went off to school on World Book Day looking top of the bunch because, she, you know, she made some beautiful stuff for them. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I felt um, there was that there was that link and really um, when Alex got ill, just completely out of the blue, she was only 45, um, we went to, went to the doctor she was having certain problems and uh didn't you know we neither of us thought for a minute that it would be anything more serious um but yeah we we got the diagnosis that it was um cancer and pretty soon after that it was terminal cancer I'm and sorry. she only oh that's that's fine she mm. had um just months to live really um so that that was a huge shock and you know as she was um going through chemotherapy and dealing um that they did an operation it was bowel cancer so she had an operation um to remove the section with with the tumor in um unfortunately it was it was just too late that that, that um, mm. you know, the operation didn't didn't work but you know she was really really amazing about it all she just got her head around it completely quickly and she didn't want anyone feeling sorry for her or moping she just wanted uh, it to be a happy time that she would just live out the rest of her time a as she wished and you know and, that, and, and she did that um so yeah in the in the aftermath of her dying and well also while she was having treatment i sudden i mean when i first started spinning i i did just have an immediate visceral connection to the process i just found it a really therapeutic and calming thing to do but in the aftermath of Alex's death that the, the spinning really just took on a whole deeper level of um yeah I mean I, I don't therapy it was just it really just something about it just really calmed my mind down and you know if I was ever feeling overwhelmed or panicked um you know I'd just get the drop spindle out and you know you even it was just a few minutes i could just feel this real it, tangibly it was helping so you know as i say in the film i really feel like the, the the nettles gave me a gift um that just the sheer act of processing spinning them obviously um you know having to go out into the countryside to harvest them that that in itself was was really um good for good for me just to get out even you know even it was only for a short period of time and the spinning yeah it, re it really served to sort of soak up the grief mm -hmm. um and also just give me a sense of forward motion so I, you know i say in the film that the the weaving of of the cloth on some levels it felt like it was a weaving of a shroud but really, Alex wouldn't have wanted that. She really wanted us to look forward and move forward and embrace life. And so, yeah, so it was partly a shroud in, in memory and honor of Alex, but it was also very much a, a garment that, you know, one of the children would wear. Um, yeah, and just a sense of, you know, turning, turning that loss into something tangible and new and useful mm -hmm. um and yeah so it you know the dress took seven years all in all from my first experiments right through to a woven cloth but 
during um, Alex's illness and certainly for the, the, the two or three years following that, um, the, uh, yeah, the, the, I, I, some days it may only just have been a few minutes of spinning was all that I could find time to do. But just that sense of moving forward was so helpful. And, you know, as we've uh, taken the film out and done uh, screenings around the place and met, you know, done Q&As after, and I always bring the dress with me to, um, so people can handle and feel it. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just been really wonderful. So many people, um, well, everyone suffers loss at some point, but it was just so interesting to note, um, especially as so many people in the audience were crafters, um, how that's such a, a common experience, that knitting or just handwork really does serve to yeah just hold you in a space where you're not overwhelmed and i think um so yeah both walking in the countryside just being in nature and working with the, the fruits of nature uh just became so sort of central um that yeah so uh, you know, really at no point did the did the anything in the process feel like drudgery it just felt like it was a a means to maintain a, a level a level uh, headspace mm. um and so yeah you know the the fact that there was a garment at the end of it all was almost like um a wonderful bonus but i think i would have been doing it just just mm. for the processing and the spinning really just because i found it so helpful yes yeah i think sometimes that as you say being outside, being in, in the fresh air and in the country does serve to ground you, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, but having something that, a, a project that you can continue to work on when things get difficult, I think is something that a, a lot of our students and our listeners would, would definitely um, empathise with. Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing I didn't say when how I, you know, one of the threads that got me into nettles is I've always been, um, I've had an allotment for 30 years and I've always grown uh, at least some of my own food. And in a way, even though I didn't really see the connection at the time, now I see that uh, fiber and food are, are very much related. And traditionally, you, you would have grown both of those. And, you know, gardening's that similar thing of just actually getting your hands into the earth and feeling that sort of connection uh, to nature. And, and it, it sort of teaching you these really differing different skills like sometimes you need to get in there and dig out bramble roots which feels like you're kind of going deep into your unconscious and pulling out these um hard tendrils and then at other times you're tending to a very delicate seedling um so it sort of requires all these different levels of input and it, it was very much the same with textiles i mean sometimes you're dealing with very fine delicate threads that you're spinning where you need sort of sensitivity and then sometimes you know in the, in the weaving it feels much sort of stronger you can feel this sort of tough robust cloth coming out of it so yeah gardening walking in nature and the textiles they all seem to uh give give the same solace and we're all kind of directly related to each other and i i do wonder um with 
the production of textiles and food that what we've given up for convenience we've actually lost these really fundamental skills that we've used for millennia um which really kind of ground us in a way which um i mm. think being untethered from those things or so removed from them removed from them i think it i think it just puts us into a much more fragile headspace and yeah, yeah there's something in the in the doing and the making where it, it, it's really giving you something back over and beyond the actual garment or whatever whatever mm. it is you're working on I suppose it's bringing us closer to nature as well, isn't it? You know, everything has its season. Um, different things happen at the time they're meant to. It's a very natural process in the way that perhaps going shopping around Tesco's isn't. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, grief is just is very much li like those things. That there, there is a, there are seasons to it. There are rhythms to it, and uh, and there's no real shortcut you you can't make you can't shout at a tomato to grow faster than it wants to grow <laughs> um so yeah it, it, it's sort of uh yeah just just inst instilled a sense of um just working working with the natural rhythms and leaning into those mm. and alan how did how did it, it go from sort of making obviously the cloth and then eventually the dress into then being made into a film how did that process come about so yeah i mean because dylan had shot um that original sh sort of how-to video which was called nettle for textiles and we did a couple of other short films um on nettles on different aspects um like we filmed the actual first uh woven bit of nettle cloth that I'd done and a bit of historical archaeological experiment that I was doing um, so yeah we'd, we'd had a small body of uh, of work done and the the success of that short nettle for textiles vid, uh, film really kind of alerted us to the fact that wow there there does seem to be an appetite out there for this um, and I think once I got the idea that I, I wanted to make a dress I said to Dill, not with a well, not with the intention of making a film at all, really. But I just thought you should come and get some stock footage of net, a nettle cloth being woven, because who knows when the next time that a large piece of nettle cloth will be woven, and it would be kind of good just to have it in the archives. It may be useful at some point, mm -hmm. and so yeah, that was the that that was the plan, but. Um, I was still some way off actually getting to the woven cloth, but Dill started coming around and just filming uh, me out in out in nature, out in the uh, countryside ar around the house, the wonderful Sussex Downs, and yeah, just we just built up a little bit by bit, and he ended up recording all the steps in the process, um, and we thought maybe there would be another short film in it but the more he gathered and the more the the other threads the you know the, the grief the loss of alex the things that were happening around the, the the production of the cloth um those threads seemed like actually hang on maybe there is a a wider story even though i had no idea what the what the final what shape the final film uh, would take um and yeah so so dill, dill filmed it right the way through um until until the cloth was woven and the dress cut and sewn and we 
took um, and Una wearing the dress, we went back into Lime Kiln Wood where um, a lot of the nettles were harvested from. And um, yeah, there was just a, a sort of beautiful arc to the whole thing. And when Dill did the first cut, I was just sort of blown away really by how how he had managed to just assemble all these parts. I mean, the, the, the central thread, of course, was just the process, just following the process. Um, but I think the wider context just made it, um, yeah, just sort of gave, gave it a, a greater depth, really. And um, um, so, yeah, that, 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 that's how, it, how it, mm. the film came into being. I'm, I'm assuming that you've done some previews because there are some wonderful reviews on your site. Yes, I mean, we didn't at any point get any funding from any, um, you know, the BBC or, or mm. any sort of production. Uh, what we ended up doing was um, we crowdfunded and a lot of those um, people that donated, that kindly donated towards, um, you know, just us covering the basic costs of um, camera gear and film and digital stuff um, came from that group. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even though um, the uh, the actual act of making it was quite solitary and my, my world was quite small at that point, just having to be at home a lot to look after the children and stay on top of all the domestic side of things, mm. there was this feeling of a, a sort of community, like, wind under our wings sort of thing mm. um who who were uh, buying into it so we did an online screening at, at one point mainly to the members of the group um and we raised a few further funds so yeah we managed to get the the film actually done the post-production stuff was really what we needed the funds for the sound and the color grading and that sort of thing and um yeah, so again, without any funding, we just started to uh, approach cinemas. And again, really, the whole the whole success of the film thus far has just been um, word of mouth and really the, the support of crafters and textile folk um, who, who were interested in the project. So, yeah, we've done 50-plus screenings just off our own back. You know, mm -hmm. someone would say, oh, it'd be nice if you could play here. And we say, is there a cinema there? And they've approached the cinema. And then, then we've got in contact with the cinema. And we've gone, shown the film, done a Q&A, taken the dress with us. And then those folk go and tell their friends. And, you know, so our marketing um, budget was literally zero. It's all just been done through word of mouth and um, yeah, the support of the, of the wider community. So that's been really wonderful. And actually, having physical screenings, we resisted just putting it straight online, um, mainly because it really felt like a gathering of the tribe. Each each screening that we did, um, meeting folk in person afterwards. Uh, them being able to chat to us and feel the dress um it really felt like a celebration so yeah we've just we've just kept that going and then just in the last uh, month or two um we've finally got a distribu distributor dartmouth films stepped in um so it's yeah it's just bumped up a level and we've got our national uh, release um, well, this week, actually, we've got the premiere tomorrow mm -hmm. up in London, and then it's going to be in, goodness, it's, you know, 150 cinemas in the next couple of weeks, and that seems to be growing 
every day so yeah i mean it's uh it's completely wonderful and unexpected and i think um just brilliant that a film that essentially deals really with craft and processing at its core has kind of broken through on into a more mainstream platform and i think its success really uh speaks to i just think a, a growing consciousness in so many people that um fast fashion the way we we overproduce the huge wastage um within the textile industry um i think this this film's just stumbled on um and tapped into that and i mm. think possibly even the grief angle um speaks to a sort of collective grief that we're feeling about the difficult environmental impacts um of the how how we live mm. and uh looking at to see whether there are any parts of that process that we can really claim back and have more uh, direct input into so if there's one thing that you would like people to take away from having seen the film what would it be i think it would be the sense of empowerment that you can get by claiming back even a symbolic connection to the clothing that you wear just whether it's changing something to make it fit better or mending a little hole rather than discarding it just to keep that piece of cloth going because you know one thing i learned through the making of the dress was just how precious cloth has been for most of our history it's really such a time consuming and valuable thing and um you know i just think our current relationship with textiles and clothing has become so disembodied with these huge global supply chains um that it's very easy to start uh, thinking of cloth as something that's cheap and disposable um which it clearly isn't that there's a huge environmental cost connected with every bit of clothing that be made and also what the clothing is made from so you know just like having an allotment it may just be a symbolic amount of food that you're actually growing but what that connection to the to the earth and to the to the ground and your immediate environment what that gives you is so much bigger than the actual vegetable itself and i really feel that with uh, cloth and textiles too it's like um it by just putting some of your own personality into it whether it's just a mend or keeping a piece of clothing going for a little bit longer or deconstructing it i think that sense of connection is going to just give you something so deep and tangible that i think our relate it will affect your relationship to textiles and just i think just able to appreciate appre appreciate them really for for what they are yeah and maybe give us all a sense of our individual responsibilities yeah and also individual personality i mean i i think there's a fear that maybe as we um move into a more low carbon future you know textiles are going to become a very how we how we produce textiles is probably going to change quite radically i mean the whole fiber shed movement again seems to be tapping into this idea of of much more localized cloth production and i think there's a fear that maybe we'll all end up looking like 17th century peasants or something but i just i, I don't think it will go that way i th i think the more input 
more personal input you have into into your clothes and and cloth uh the more individual it becomes and i think um you know having fashion dictated to us is is really largely just a very sort of blunt marketing tool i think uh i don't think we should be disposing of cloth just because it's not um the, the most up-to-date trend i think i think yeah leaning into the quality of the cloth and how long you can keep it going and, and the ways in which you can personalize it i think those are the real joys to be had from it rather than just that that short hit of something that's new and then soon forgotten yeah no absolutely so what happens next alan i mean obviously i know that you've got um the film launching and um but do you have other things that you're thinking about moving on to Yes, I mean, soon after I, I finished making the dress, I made myself a shirt, which I uh, wear to screenings, and that was made from some of the nettle that wasn't used in the dress, um, flax that I've grown and processed and spun over those seven years too, and uh, bits of hemp that friends of mine have grown. Uh, the contemporary hempery are doing wonderful things. Um, what a wonderful name. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're brilliant. Um and uh yeah so and and i the, the dress the the nettle dress i i didn't dye because i really wanted to just see how the natural color changed over time so the dress itself is a is a sort of living experiment but the shirt i did dye used natural dyes um and yeah that was a real thrill to actually be able to wear something that i'd made mm-hmm. and likewise i've still um all along all the whilst i was doing the nettles and stuff i was spinning wool and other other fibers from local um farmers where i got fleeces from um so on the loom at the moment um, i'm putting a naturally dyed wool warp on um, and i'm going to weave that into the next bit of cloth and i'm still spinning nettle i feel my spinning's improving all the time and i think um the next nettle garment that i make probably in many years time i think will be a lot finer so i'm really um interested in just how far i can push it how fine a cloth can i can i make from nettle and yeah there's just there's just so much to learn i mean i'd love to learn more about sewing and pattern cutting and fitting cloth um but all the while i think that the, the main thing that that keeps me going is just how local um I can be in producing cloth and it's a much slower way of working. It's not really a way of working where I can produce stuff to sell, although I I do get invited to teach workshops and do talks and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, I I think um, uh, there's just so many avenues and areas in the broad banner of textiles that I love to go into that I think I'm going to be busy and learning right until the end of my days. So if somebody else, if somebody listening to this um, wants to get involved with nettles and the, um, the, the, the dyeing and weaving of them and what have you, where would you suggest they go? Well, I think, I mean, what I found so awesome was just discovering that, wow, there's spinning groups in Brighton. Wow, there's a guild here that has, and and, and I think largely that, that, really really sustained me and made me love the whole textile area because i just unlike so many areas in life i i just found uh, the textile community just couldn't 
bend over backwards far enough to to share knowledge and skills and there was always someone on hand to help me um, and I really loved that free flow of knowledge and information. I feel like, you know, the future is us working together, not against each other. Um, so I'd say definitely look around, what see what's on your doorsteps. There's bound to be um, groups doing mending and knitting groups and, yeah, wh whichever mm -hmm. area you get into, there'll be people there who would love to welcome you in. Um, if people want to follow my work, um, I'm... Uh, hedgerow couture on social media on instagram and facebook and if anyone would like to come and see the film i'd recommend they go to um, netteldress.org which is the the website which has all the current list of uh, screenings happening around the country mm -hmm. and on uh, instagram it's nettledress film so yeah um uh, and of course if it's nettles in particular check out the nettle for textiles the video uh, the original short film, the website under the same name and the Facebook group under the same name. There's a bunch of people there who would love to help you and answer your questions. Wonderful. And of course, we'll put on as many links as we can for people um, in the uh, text for the, for, the, uh, for the podcast episode too. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Alan, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for um, taking time out of your busy day to to um, record this episode. It's very much appreciated. Oh, not, not a problem at all. Thank you so much for having me on. I've loved chatting to you. And uh, yeah, onwards and upwards. Mm -hmm.